0: chapter thirteen of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirteen what is here gold thus much of this will make black white foul fair timon of athens came there a certain lord neat trimly dressed fresh as a bridegroom henry the fourth i do not know the man i should avoid so soon as that spare cassius he reads much he is a great observer and he looks quite through the deeds of men often he smiles but smiles in such a sort as if he mocked himself or scorned his spirit that could be moved to smile at anything julius caesar the next day late at noon as lucy was sitting with her father not as usual engaged either in work or in reading but seemingly quite idle with her pretty foot upon the squire's gouty stool and eyes fixed on the carpet while her hands never were hands so soft and so small as lucy's though they may have been eclipsed in whiteness were lightly clasped together and reposed listlessly on her knees the surgeon of the village abruptly entered with a face full of news and horror old squire brandon was one of those persons who always hear news whatever it may be later than any of their neighbours and it was not till all the gossips of the neighbourhood had picked the bone of the matter quite bare that he was now informed through the medium of mr Pillam that lord maule had on the preceding night been stopped by three highwaymen in his road to his country seat and robbed to a considerable amount the fame of the worthy dr slopperton's maladventure having long ere this been spread far and wide the whole neighbourhood was naturally thrown into great consternation magistrates were sent to large dogs borrowed blunderbusses cleaned and a subscription made throughout the parish for the raising of a patrol there seemed little doubt but that the offenders in either case were members of the same horde and mr pillam in his own mind was perfectly convinced that they meant to encroach upon his trade and destroy all the surrounding householders who were worth the trouble the next week passed in the most diligent endeavours on the part of the neighbouring magistrates and yeomanry to detect and seize the robbers but their labours were utterly fruitless and one justice of peace who had been particularly active was himself entirely cleaned out by an old gentleman who under the name of mr bagshot rather an ominous cognomen offered to conduct the unsuspicious magistrate to the very spot where the miscreants might be seized no sooner however had he drawn the poor justice away from his comrades into a lonely part of the road than he stripped him to his shirt he did not even leave his worship his flannel drawers though the weather was as bitter as the dog days of eighteen twenty nine it is not my way said the hoary ruffian when the justice petitioned at least for the latter article of attire tis not my way i be slow about my work but i does it thoroughly so off with your rags olden this was however the only additional instance of aggression in the vicinity of warlock manor-house and by degrees as the autumn declined and no further enormities were perpetrated people began to look out for a new topic of conversation this was afforded them by a piece of unexpected good fortune to lucy brandon mrs warner an old lady to whom she was slightly related and with whom she had been residing during her brief and only visit to london died suddenly and in her will declared lucy to be her sole heiress the property which was in the funds and which amounted to sixty thousand pounds was to be enjoyed by miss brandon immediately on her attaining her twenty-first year meanwhile the executors to the will were to pay to the young heiress the annual sum of six hundred pounds the joy which this news created in warlock manor house may easily be conceived the squire projected improvements here and repairs there and lucy poor girl who had no idea of money for herself beyond the purchase of a new pony or a gown from london seconded with affectionate pleasure all her father's suggestions and delighted herself with the reflection that those fine plans which were to make the brandons greater than the brandons ever were before were to be realized by her own own money it was at this identical time that the surrounding gentry made a simultaneous and grand discovery namely of the astonishing merits and great good sense of mr joseph brandon it was a pity they observed that he was of so reserved and shy a turn it was not becoming in a gentleman of so ancient a family but why should they not endeavour to draw him from his retirement into those more public scenes which he was doubtless well calculated to adorn accordingly as soon as the first month of mourning had expired several coaches chariots chaises and horses which had never been seen at warlock manor house before arrived there one after the other in the most friendly manner imaginable their owners admired everything the house was such a fine relic of old times for their parts they liked an oak staircase and those nice old windows and what a beautiful peacock and heaven save the mark that magnificent chestnut tree was worth a forest mr brandon was requested to make one of the county hunt not that he any longer hunted himself but that his name would give such consequence to the thing miss lucy must come to pass a week with her dear friends the honourable mrs sanster augustus their brother had such a sweet lady's horse in short the customary change which takes place in people's characters after the acquisition of a fortune took place in the characters of mr and miss brandon and when people become suddenly amiable it is no wonder that they should suddenly gain a vast accession of friends but lucy though she had seen so little of the world was not quite blind and the squire though rather obtuse was not quite a fool if they were not rude to their new visitors they were by no means overpowered with gratitude at their condescension mr brandon declined subscribing to the hunt and miss lucy laughed in the face of the honourable augustus sansterre among their new guests however was one who to great knowledge of the world joined an extreme and even brilliant polish of manners which at least prevented deceit from being disagreeable if not wholly from being unseen this was the new lieutenant of the county lord mauleverer though possessed of an immense property in that district lord mauleverer had hitherto resided but little on his estates he was one of those gay lords who are now somewhat uncommon in this country after mature manhood is attained who live an easy and rakish life rather among their parasites than their equals and who yet by aid of an agreeable manner natural talents and a certain graceful and light cultivation of mind not the less pleasant for its being universally coloured with worldliness and an amusing rather than offensive regard for self never lose their legitimate station in society who are oracles in dress equipages cookery and beauty and having no character of their own are able to fix by a single word a character upon any one else thus while mauleverer rather lived the dissolute life of a young nobleman who prefers the company of agreeable demi-reps to that of wearisome duchesses than maintained the decorous state befitting a mature age and an immense interest in the country he was quite as popular at court where he held a situation in the household as he was in the green-room where he enchanted every actress on the right side of forty a word from him in the legitimate quarters of power went further than an harangue from another and even the prudes at least all those who had daughters confessed that his lordship was a very interesting character like brandon his familiar friend he had risen in the world from the irish baron to the english earl without having ever changed his politics which were ultratory. and we need not observe that he was deemed like brandon a model of public integrity he was possessed of two places under government six votes in the house of commons and eight livings in the church We must add in justice to his loyal and religious principles that there was not in the three kingdoms a firmer friend to the existing establishments. Whenever a nobleman does not marry, people try to take away his character. Lord Mauleverer had never married. The Whigs had been very bitter on the subject. They even alluded to it in the House of Commons. That chaste assembly, where the never-failing subject of reproach against Mr. Pitt was the not being of an amorous temperament but they had not hitherto prevailed against the stout earl's celibacy it is true that if he was devoid of a wife he had secured to himself plenty of substitutes his profession was that of a man of gallantry and though he avoided the daughters it was only to make love to the mothers but his lordship had now attained a certain age and it was at last circulated among his friends that he intended to look out for a lady mauleverer spare your caresses said his toady-in-chief to a certain duchess who had three portionless daughters mauleverer has sworn that he will not choose among your order you know his high politics and you will not wonder at his declaring himself averse in matrimony as in morals to a community of goods the announcement of the earl's matrimonial design and the circulation of this anecdote set all the clergymen's daughters in england on a blaze of expectation and when mauleverer came to shire upon obtaining the honour of the lieutenancy to visit his estates and court the friendship of his neighbours there was not an old young lady of forty who worked in broad stitch and had never been to london above a week at a time who did not deem herself exactly the sort of person sure to fascinate his lordship it was late in the afternoon when the travelling chariot of this distinguished person preceded by two outriders in the earl's undressed livery of dark green stopped at the hall-door of warlock house the squire was at home actually and metaphorically for he never dreamed of denying himself to any one gentle or simple the door of the carriage being opened there descended a small slight man richly dressed for lace and silk vestments were not then quite discarded though gradually growing less the mode and of an air prepossessing and distinguished rather than dignified his years for his countenance though handsome was deeply marked and evinced the tokens of dissipation seemed more numerous than they really were and though not actually past middle age lord mauleverer might fairly have received the unpleasing epithet of elderly however his step was firm his gait upright and his figure was considerably more youthful than his physiognomy the first compliments of the day having passed and lord mauleverer having expressed his concern that his long and frequent absence from the county had hitherto prevented his making the acquaintance of mr brandon the brother of one of his oldest and most esteemed friends conversation became on both sides rather an effort mr brandon first introduced the subject of the weather and the turnips inquired whether his lordship was not very fond for his part he used to be but lately the rheumatism had disabled him he hoped his lordship was not subject to that complaint of shooting catching only the last words for besides the awful complexity of the squire's sentences mauleverer was slightly affected by the aristocratic complaint of deafness the earl answered with a smile the complaint of shooting very good indeed mr brandon it is seldom that i have heard so witty a phrase no i am not in the least troubled with that epidemic it is a disorder very prevalent in this county my lord said the squire rather puzzled and then observing that mauleverer did not continue he thought it expedient to start another subject i was exceedingly grieved to hear that your lordship in travelling to mauleverer park that is a very ugly road across the wasteland. the roads in this country are in general pretty good for my own part when i was a magistrate i was very strict in that respect was robbed you have not yet i believe detected for my part though i do not profess to be much of a politician i do think that in affairs of robbery there is a great deal of remissness in the ministers the villains our friend is disaffected thought the lord lieutenant imagining that the last opprobrious term was applied to the respectable personages specified in the parenthesis bowing with a polished smile to the squire mauleverer replied aloud that he was extremely sorry that their conduct meaning the minister's did not meet with mr brandon's approbation well thought the squire that is playing the courtier with a vengeance meet with my approbation said he warmly how could your lordship think me for though i am none of your saints i am i hope a good christian an excellent one judging from your words your lordship must be so partial to crime I partial to crime returned mauleverer thinking he had stumbled unawares on some outrageous democrat yet smiling as softly as usual you judge me harshly mr brandon you must do me more justice and you can only do that by knowing me better whatever unlucky answer the squire might otherwise have made was cut off by the entrance of lucy and the earl secretly delighted at the interruption rose to render her his homage and to remind her of the introduction he had formerly been so happy as to obtain to her through the friendship of mr william brandon a friendship said the gallant nobleman to which i have often before been indebted but which was never more agreeably exerted on my behalf upon this lucy who though she had been so painfully bashful during her meeting with mr clifford felt no overpowering diffidence in the presence of so much greater a person replied laughingly and the earl rejoined by a second compliment conversation was now no longer an effort and mauleverer the most consummate of epicures whom even royalty trembled to ask without preparation on being invited by the unconscious squire to partake of the family dinner eagerly accepted the invitation it was long since the knightly walls of warlock had been honored by the presence of a guest so courtly the good squire heaped his plate with a profusion of boiled beef and while the poor earl was contemplating in dismay the alps upon alps which he was expected to devour the gray-headed butler anxious to serve him with alacrity whipped away the overloaded plate and presently returned it yet more astoundingly surcharged with an additional world of a composition of stony color and pseudorific aspect which after examining in mute attention for some moments and carefully removing as well as he was able to the extreme edge of his plate the earl discovered to be suet pudding you eat nothing my lord cried the squire let me give you this is more underdone holding between blade and fork in middle air a porn fragment of scarlet shaking its gory locks another slice swift at the word dropped upon mauleverer's plate the harpy finger and ruthless thumb of the grey-headed butler not a morsel more cried the earl struggling with the murderous domestic my dear sir excuse me i assure you i have never ate such a dinner before never nay now quoth the squire expostulating you really and this air is so keen that your lordship should indulge your appetite if you follow the physician's advice eat nothing again mauleverer was at fault the physicians are right mr brandon said he very right and i am forced to live abstemiously indeed i do not know whether if i were to exceed at your hospitable table and attack all that you would bestow upon me i should ever recover it you would have to seek a new lieutenant for your charming county and on the tomb of the last mauleverer the hypocritical and unrelated heir would inscribe died of the visitation of beef john Earl, etc plain as the meaning of the speech might have seemed to others the squire only laughed at the effeminate appetite of the speaker and inclined to think him an excellent fellow for jesting so good-humouredly on his own physical infirmity but lucy had the tact of her sex and taking pity on the earl's calamitous situation though she certainly never guessed at its extent entered with so much grace and ease into the conversation which he sought to establish between them that Mauleverer's gentlemen who had hitherto been pushed aside by the zeal of the grey-headed butler found an opportunity when the squire was laughing and the butler staring to steal away the overburdened plate unsuspected and unseen in spite however of these evils of board and lodgment mauleverer was exceedingly well pleased with his visit nor did he terminate it till the shades of night had begun to close and the distance from his own residence conspired with experience to remind him that it was possible for a highwayman's audacity to attack the equipage even of lord mauleverer he then reluctantly re-entered his carriage and bidding the postilions drive as fast as possible wrapped himself in his roquelaire and divided his thoughts between lucy brandon and the omar de Gratin, with which he proposed to console himself immediately on his return home however fate which mocks our most cherished hopes ordained that on arriving at Mauleverer park the owner should be suddenly afflicted with a loss of appetite a coldness in the limbs a pain in the chest and various other ungracious symptoms of portending malady lord Mauleverer went straight to bed he remained there for some days and when he recovered his physicians ordered him to bath the whig methodists who hated him ascribed his illness to providence and his lordship was firmly of opinion that it should be ascribed to the beef and pudding however this be there was an end for the present to the hopes of young ladies of forty and to the intended festivities at mauleverer park good heavens said the earl as his carriage wheels turned from his gates what a loss to country tradesmen may be occasioned by a piece of underdone beef especially if it be boiled about a footnight had elapsed since mauleverer's meteoric visit to Warlock house when the squire received from his brother the following epistle my dear joseph you know my numerous avocations and amid the press of business which surrounds me will i am sure forgive me for being a very negligent and remiss correspondent nevertheless i assure you no one can more sincerely sympathize in that good fortune which has befallen my charming niece and of which your last letter informed me than i do pray give my best love to her and tell her how complacently I look forward to the brilliant sensation she will create when her beauty is enthroned upon that rank which I am quite sure it will one day or other command. You are not aware, perhaps, my dear Joseph, that I have for some time been in a very weak and declining state of health. The old nervous complaint in my face has of late attacked me grievously, and the anguish is sometimes so great that I am scarcely able to bear it i believe the great demand which my profession makes upon a frame of body never strong and now beginning prematurely to feel the infirmities of time is the real cause of my maladies at last however i must absolutely punish my pocket and indulge my inclinations by a short respite from toil the doctors sworn friends you know to the lawyers since they make common cause against mankind have peremptorily ordered me to lie by and to try a short course of air exercise social amusements and the waters of bath fortunately this is vacation time and i can afford to lose a few weeks of emolument in order perhaps to secure many years of life i propose then early next week repairing to that melancholy reservoir of the gay where persons dance out of life and are fiddled across the sticks in a word i shall make one of the adventurers after health who seek the goddess at king bladud's pomp room will you and dear lucy join me there i ask it of your friendship and i am quite sure that neither of you will shrink aghast at the proposal of solacing your invalid relation at the same time that i am recovering health my pretty niece will be avenging pluto by consigning to his dominions many a better and younger hero in my stead and it will be a double pleasure to me to see all the hearts etc i break off for what can i say on that subject which the little coquette does not anticipate it is high time that lucy should see the world and though there are many at bath above all places to whom the heiress will be an object of interested attentions yet there are also many in that crowded city by no means undeserving her notice what say you dear joseph but i know already you will not refuse to keep company with me in my little holiday and lucy's eyes are already sparkling at the idea of new bonnets milsom street a thousand adorers and the pomp-room ever dear joseph yours affectionately william brandon p s i find that my friend lord mauleverer is at bath i own that is an additional reason to take me thither by a letter from him received the other day i see that he has paid you a visit and he now raves about his host and the heiress ah miss lucy miss lucy are you going to conquer him whom all london has for years more than i care to tell yet not many for a lover is still young assailed in vain answer me this letter created a considerable excitement in warlock house the old squire was extremely fond of his brother and grieved to the heart to find that he spoke so discouragingly of his health nor did the squire for a moment hesitate at accepting the proposal to join his distinguished relative at bath lucy also who had for her uncle possibly from his profuse yet not indelicate flattery a very great regard and interest though she had seen but little of him urged the squire to lose no time in arranging matters for their departure so as to precede the barrister and prepare everything for his arrival the father and daughter being thus agreed there was little occasion for delay an answer to the invalid's letter was sent by return of post and on the fourth day from their receipt of the said epistle the good old squire his daughter a country girl by way of abigail the grey-headed butler and two or three live pets of the size and habits most convenient for travelling were on their way to a city which at that time was gayer at least if somewhat less splendid than the metropolis on the second day of their arrival at bath brandon as in future to avoid confusion we shall call the younger brother giving to the elder his patriarchal title of squire joined them he was a man seemingly rather fond of parade though at heart he disrelished and despised it He came to their lodging, which had not been selected in the very best part of the town, in a carriage and six, but attended only by one favourite servant. They found him in better looks and better spirits than they had anticipated. Few persons, when he liked it, could be more agreeable than William Brandon. But at times there mixed with his conversation a bitter sarcasm, probably a habit acquired in his profession, or an occasional tinge of morose and haughty sadness, possibly the consequence of his ill health yet his disorder which was somewhat approaching to that painful affliction the tic du though of fits more rare in occurrence than those of that complaint ordinarily are never seemed even for an instant to operate upon his mood whatever that might be that disease worked unseen not a muscle of his face appeared to quiver the smile never vanished from his mouth the blandness of his voice never grew faint as with pain and in the midst of intense torture his resolute and stern mind conquered every external indication nor could the most observant stranger have noted the moment when the fit attacked or released him there was something inscrutable about the man you felt that you took his character upon trust and not on your own knowledge the acquaintance of years would have left you equally dark as to his vices or his virtues he varied often yet in each variation he was equally undiscoverable was he performing a series of parts or was it the ordinary changes of a man's true temperament that you beheld in him commonly smooth quiet attentive flattering in social intercourse he was known in the senate and courts of law for a cold asperity and a caustic venom scarcely rivalled even in those arenas of contention it seemed as if the bitterer feelings he checked in private life he delighted to indulge in public yet even there he gave not way to momentary petulance or gushing passion all seemed with him systematic sarcasm or habitual sternness he outraged no form of ceremonial or of society he stung without appearing conscious of the sting and his antagonist writhed not more beneath the torture of his satire than the crushing contempt of his self-command cool ready armed and defended on all points sound in knowledge unfailing in observation equally consummate in sophistry when needed by himself and instantaneous in detecting sophistry in another scorning no art however painful begrudging no labour however weighty minute in detail yet not the less comprehending the whole subject in a grasp such was the legal and public character william brandon had established and such was the fame he joined to the unsullied purity of his moral reputation but to his friends he seemed only the agreeable clever lively and if we may use the phrase innocently the worldly man never affecting a superior sanctity or an over anxiety to forms except upon great occasions and rendering his austerity of manners the more admired because he made it seem so unaccompanied by hypocrisy well said brandon as he sat after dinner alone with his relations and had seen the eyes of his brother close in diurnal slumber tell me miss lucy what you think of lord mauleverer do you find him agreeable very too much so indeed too much so that is an uncommon fault lucy unless you mean to insinuate that you find him too agreeable for your peace of mind oh no there is little fear of that all that i meant to express was that he seems to make it the sole business of his life to be agreeable and that one imagines he had gained that end by the loss of certain qualities which one would have liked better humph and what are they truth sincerity independence and honesty of mind my dear lucy it has been the professional study of my life to discover a man's character especially so far as truth is concerned in as short a time as possible but you excel me in intuition if you can tell whether there be sincerity in a courtier's character at the first interview you have with him nevertheless i am sure of my opinion said lucy laughing and i will tell you one instance i observed among a hundred lord mauleverer is rather deaf and he imagined in conversation that my father said one thing it was upon a very trifling subject the speech of some member of parliament the lawyer smiled when in reality he meant to say another lord mauleverer in the warmest manner in the world chimed in with him appeared thoroughly of his opinion applauded his sentiments and wished the whole country of his mind suddenly my father spoke lord mauleverer bent down his ear and found that the sentiments he had so lauded were exactly those my father the least favoured no sooner did he make this discovery than he wheeled round again dexterously and gracefully i allow condemned all that he had before extolled and extolled all that he had before abused and is that all lucy said brandon with a keener sneer on his lip than the occasion warranted why that is what every one does only some more gravely than others a in society i at the bar the minister in parliament friend to friend lover to mistress mistress to lover half of us are employed in saying white is black and the other half in swearing that black is white there is only one difference my pretty niece between the clever man and the fool the fool says what is false while the colours stare in his face and give him the lie but the clever man takes as it were a brush and literally turns the black into white and the white into black before he makes the assertion which is then true the fool changes and is a liar the clever man makes the colours change and is a genius but this is not for your young years yet lucy but i can't see the necessity of seeming to agree with people said lucy simply surely they would be just as well pleased if you differed from them civilly and with respect no lucy said brandon still sneering to be liked it is not necessary to be anything but compliant lie cheat make every word a snare and every act a forgery but never contradict agree with people and they make a couch for you in their hearts you know the story of dante and the buffoon both were entertained at the court of the vain pedant who called himself prince scaliger the former poorly the latter sumptuously how comes it said the buffoon to the poet that i am so rich and you so poor i shall be as rich as you was the stinging and true reply whenever i can find a patron as like myself as prince scaliger is like you yet my birds said lucy caressing the goldfinch which nestled to her bosom are not like me and i love them nay i often think i could love those better who differ from me the most i feel it so in books when for instance i read a novel or a play and you uncle i like almost in proportion to my perceiving and myself nothing in common with you yes said brandon you have in common with me a love for old stories of sir Hugo and sir rupert and all the other sirs of our mouldered and bygone race so you shall sing me the ballad about sir john de brandon and the dragon he slew in the holy land we will adjourn to the drawing-room not to disturb your father lucy agreed. took her uncle's arm repaired to the drawing-room and seating herself at the harpsichord sang to an inspiriting yet somewhat rude air the family ballad her uncle had demanded it would have been amusing to note in the rigid face of the hardened and habitual man of peace and parchments a certain enthusiasm which ever and anon crossed his cheek as the verses of the ballad rested on some allusion to the knightly house of brandon and its old renown it was an early prejudice breaking out despite of himself a flash of character stricken from the hard fossil in which it was embedded one would have supposed that the silliest of all prides for the pride of money though meaner is less senseless family pride was the last weakness which at that time the callous and astute lawyer would have confessed even to himself lucy said brandon as the song ceased and he gazed on his beautiful niece with a certain pride in his aspect i long to witness your first appearance in the world this lodging my dear is not fit but pardon me what i was about to say is this your father and yourself are here at my invitation and in my house you must dwell you are my guest not mine host and hostess i have therefore already directed my servant to secure me a house and provide the necessary establishment and i make no doubt as he is a quick fellow that within three days all will be ready you must then be the magnet of my abode lucy and meanwhile you must explain this to my brother and for you know his jealous hospitality obtain his acquiescence but began lucy but me no but said brandon quickly but with an affectionate tone of wilfulness and now as i feel very much fatigued with my journey you must allow me to seek my own room i will conduct you to it myself said lucy for she was anxious to show her father's brother the care and forethought which she had lavished on her arrangements for his comfort brandon followed her into an apartment which his eye knew at a glance had been subjected to that female superintendence which makes such uses from what men reject as insignificant and he thanked her with more than his usual amenity for the grace which had presided over and the kindness which had dictated her preparations as soon as he was left alone he wheeled his armchair near the clear bright fire and resting his face upon his hand in the attitude of a man who prepares himself as it were for the indulgence of meditation he muttered yes these women are first what nature makes them and that is good next what use make them and that is evil now could i persuade myself that we ought to be nice as to the use we put these poor puppets to i should shrink from enforcing the destiny which i have marked for this girl but that is a pitiful consideration and he is but a silly player who loses his money for the sake of preserving his counters so the young lady must go as another score to the fortunes of william brandon after all who suffers not she she will have wealth rank honour i shall suffer to yield so pretty and pure a gem to the coronet of Faugh! how i despise that dog but how i could hate crush mangle him could i believe that he despised me could he do so hum no i have resolved myself that it is impossible well let me hope that matrimonial point will be settled and now let me consider what next step i shall take for myself myself i only myself with me perishes the last male of brandon but the light shall not go out under a bushel as he said this the soliloquist sunk into a more absorbed and silent reverie from which he was disturbed by the entrance of his servant brandon who was never a dreamer save when alone broke at once from his reflections you have obeyed my orders barlow said he yes sir answered the domestic i have taken the best house yet unoccupied and when mrs roberts brandon's housekeeper arrives from london everything will i trust be exactly to your wishes good and you gave my note to lord mauleverer with my own hand sir his lordship will await you at home all to-morrow very well and now barlow see that your room is within call bells though known were not common at that day and give out that i am gone to bed and must not be disturbed what's the hour just on the stroke of ten sir place on that table my letter-case and the inkstand look in to help me to undress at half-past one i shall go to bed at that hour and stay be sure barlow that my brother believes me retired for the night he does not know my habits and will vex himself if he thinks I sit up so late in my present state of health, drawing the table with its writing appurtenances near to his master, the servant left Brandon once more to his thoughts or his occupations. Chapter thirteen.